Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Cornish. Robert, this is this has got to be one of the funniest shows I've oh seen. Oh my god! Where do we find this place? Is it? Was well, it some place you took me to in Soho? I, th- I thought we'd turn to some sort of dive, but actually it's quite plush in it. No, it's the the Phoenix Club, right? The Phoenix Club. Ah. But you know that person performing on stage? Doesn't yeah, yeah. Look familiar. I. Well, I think maybe without the makeup we might recognise her. But I mean, dressed up as a clown with that funny pom pom hat is, is is a bit. Deceiving. You know what? Let's go on the side of the stage and let's what? let's get a few words with her. I'm, I'm a bit British and reserved about this. I don't like going up to like artists after they come off stage. They might think we're like pervs or something. Robert, with your shirt, you've had no problems in your <laughs> life. I think in the grand scheme of embarrassment, you yeah. have nothing to worry I'm, about. I'm very quiet. You know, like hang okay, look, let's go. I'll come. Let's go on the okay, side. Okay, she's I, finished. Look. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Let, let's stop clapping. Yeah. Emily. Emily. Emily Bourne. Oh my god! Take that wig off. What are you guys doing here? We just saw your amazing show. I had no idea you do stand up comedy. Oh, cool. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So, do you have a few minutes? It'll be great to have a chat. Yeah, yeah, I don't do another show for about another 20 minutes, so yeah, that works. All right. 20 um, minutes between shows, that's Can we go, I bet you've got a plush dressing room. Can we go there? Yeah, the Phoenix is famous for giving you some of the best. Best dressing rooms with the stickiest floors. If you'd like to come into this okay. room here, this is where I change. Why has it got a picture of a man on the outside? That's just because I get an exclusive room. Ah. Um, just mind the sink. I think that's a sink. <laughs> There's a bog in the corner. <laughs> this is your dressing room? You, you just have to go with the flow. Ah, okay. Uh, or the flush. <laughs> See, I could be a comedian. No, no, no. no, no, no. Not going to happen. So, Emily, I, I had, I mean, I had no idea that you were a stand-up comedian. I knew that you've been in the payment space for a long time. And could you tell me a little bit about your background in the payment space? And actually, I want to know about the comedy bit as well. But where did you start? So I started in payments about 12 years ago when I first had my daughter and I got bored with going to playgroup because it was really quite nonsensical. So I started to work for a friend of mine's uncle ringing up retailers and getting discounts on offers for a small group of investors who were buying a magazine and this was going to be a reward for them, discounts. And we inadvertently created one of the most successful reward discount clubs Not Groupon. in the country. No, it was before Groupon. Pre-Groupon? Before Groupon. then, pre-Groupon. Is it still running? Uh, it is. It's the Utility Warehouse Discount Club. Oh, the Utility Warehouse Discount, discount Club. club. UWDC. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't really come off the tongue very It doesn't. Easily. It doesn't. But it worked very well and it's still got tens of thousands of members wow. and users who not only buy their electric from Utility Warehouse, but they then get, when they shop at certain retailers, the discount comes off their energy bills every month. That's and quite and cool. your really friend rewarding. you mentioned, is that is that the, the, the lucky Emily that I work with? It is the lucky Emily that you work <laughs> with. Yeah. It's a small world. It is a very small world. You've also got to be careful to be nice to everybody because you never know when you're going to see them again. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and they're both named Emily. Yes. I only like to hang out with people with the same name. That's Helps with my short term memory. Robert on weekends. Yeah, exactly. Suresh <laughs> <laughs> at night. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, we got there. We got to that first yeah. bit. Then what happened? Then what, how did you get Just started to make prepaid cards. And the success of Utility Warehouse got people's attention. 
Andy Downs and Mike Smith at Rafels Bank were looking at hiring a business development person to come and open the doors for Rafels as an issuer, see if they could build it up to be the number one in the UK. They very kindly gave me the opportunity. Within under two years, we were number one in the UK. And, and I was that asked, nothing to do with the fact that the first meeting you had was with me. Obviously. Yeah. That probably slowed things down obviously. for you. you well, have... It opened a few doors for me, but in an inappropriate manner. <laughs> <laughs> so no change then? <laughs> no, not at all. It has to be one of the most surreal business meetings I've ever, ever had. Did someone pretend that he was a serious lawyer at the time? He, I waited for him for 40 minutes. I've never waited for a man for that long ever in my life. And I waited for him at the Lord offices for 40 minutes. And he turned up and he was a little bit under the weather, not due to illness, but due to a very boozy lunch. It was a, it was quite a busy lunch. It and, was a busy lunch. And no one had pointed out that I had a meeting in my diary after my lunch. So I thought I was having the afternoon and I was getting calls from my lunch saying, there's someone in reception for you. And I was thinking, <laughs> sounds like a threat, oh, doesn't it? Gosh. Someone in reception. How did this happen? Does he ever? But gone? but we've been friends ever since. We have. Which you tried. Remarkable. I think you tried to scare me, and it didn't work. You're not scareable, really. Are I'm you? not really scareable. No. So I've been asked all sorts of things over the years. So yeah, you. I think you tried to uh, disconcert me, Which but it just actually it made me more made fond us of even you. Friends, <laughs> friends for longer. Okay. Ravels. Then um, I was offered an opportunity at prepay solutions they'd seen what i've been doing at rafles and very kindly said can you do that for us for europe so i went and joined them and worked with ray brash who was an incredible inspiration good blade to work for built up their book and then i was asked by mastercard their prepaid team and their program management side to come and do what i'd done for rafles and for pps for them so i did and how was it i mean you started off with some of the smaller companies and then you went to big mastercard mm. was there a big cultural shift. I mean, now I wish that we had a lot more drinks before this. Actually, <laughs> you know, although we did. Like, someone's coming in the toilet. Shh. It looks a bit strange. This three of us it in, does, the, in one cubicle. Just, just no, let them, let them go. We're in Soho. This is normal. I think oh, it's okay. strange that I'm, there's a woman with the two guys. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, they've had a great. A, they've had a heavy lunch. That's Let's just go. Okay. okay. Oh, dump and a half. Sorry. Carry on, please. So MasterCard was a cultural shift for me because I'd worked in smaller organisations. They were a lot quicker, a lot more dynamic. Bigger organisations, there's a lot of hierarchy, there's a lot of politics. Just getting to know who did what in different departments is a challenge half the time. But I enjoyed it. I got to work with some great people, some, some great minds and some very, very kind and supportive individuals while I was MasterCard. But I opted in the end. I felt I was too distant from... The fun bits I liked, which was the, you know, sawdust. Yeah, actually building products, things seeing work. things go. When someone comes up to you and is holding your product and says, I use your product all the time. It's fantastic. It changed my life. Or we use it in a school or you're in a queue at a supermarket and the person in front pulls out on the card you've worked on. There's nothing better than that. It's awesome. And of all the products you've worked in in your entire payments career, what's been your... The one you've been most proud of? I do like the ones with a bit of a social conscience. And I've, those have always been the ones I've, I've really pushed for. And some of them, sadly, have never come to market. And I still have a, a little bucket of ideas that I really want to implement at some point or another that I think could really help some of the more vulnerable members of society. So anything to do with assisting 
uh, people with learning difficulties to become more financially aware or children with more financial literacy, I think is a must. Um, anything that rewards basically the underdogs of society, because we tend to give great financial services products to people that are really wealthy, which is great, but they get given lots of things for free because they're really wealthy. The people that actually need them are the people at the lower end of the scale. And I don't that, think that's why enough. Rob is looking at you confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, Suresh, you've had some of these products. <laughs> and all the products you've had, what's some of the funniest ones you've seen that maybe never quite made it? I've had a very uncomfortable business meeting with a high powered accountant who was literally shouting and beating his fists on the table because his idea was the best thing in the world and it was going to change the way that everyone dealt with money. And yet he was showing me his wonderful idea by drawing on the back of white napkins that he'd got from a coffee shop around the corner. And when I said I didn't believe that this was a product that was necessarily going to come into fruition, because to be honest, it just didn't make any sense. Nobody needed it. You know, you had a QuickBooks, you had zero by this stage. There's lots going on. He got quite arsy, for want of a better phrase, and told me that uh, I just didn't understand payments and uh, I just didn't get the concept and I wasn't creative enough and he huffed out. But and, i never seen him since. that's <laughs> come, come back through well, one of the big boys and they, they've taken no, it on. It's like Barclays all. Bank's biggest selling product no, ever. No, sadly not. Maybe no. the restaurant ran out of napkins. I think... Uh, it could <laughs> be. <laughs> or, or someone actually needed to use them. <laughs> I've seen great tech, but mainly I see people with great tech and no idea how regulatory stuff works. So they go, why can't I send £5,000 to my friend in Pakistan using mobile phone numbers? Yeah, there would be a few hurdles to overcome in that Mm. scenario. It could be done. Could be done. In the right way. Yeah. So I'm diving in. And the first question I've got here is, would you agree... Too many fintechs go to market with little more than over-excitement about their product and an if-we-build-it-they-will-come mentality. Well, this goes back to my, my lovely accountancy friend with this idea on the back of a napkin. I see lots of people coming to market, some of them with wonderful ideas, and they either manage to secure a lot of money and then struggle with delivery because they either get ripped off along the way But then when they do launch something, the one thing I always find nobody ever thinks about is how is the customer going to interact with it? They think about how they're going to get the processor plugged in and which bin sponsor and how they get these bells and whistles sorted out. And that's all really excited. And it's going to have plastic that's going to glow in the dark. And then you say, how is the customer actually going to deal with your product? How are they going to find you? How are they going to sign up? Uh, what happens, just simple things like what happens if they go to send a payment and it fails? What's your process? What's your experience? And they go, I don't know. But these are key things. I mean, the whole thing about Revolut being so successful is the app is brilliant. How they cobble together the solution is irrespective. It's actually, the app's really good. It's a really nice, smooth customer journey. And it's in a pretty purple colour. And people like that sort of thing. But we don't spend enough time thinking about that side of things. So all glitz, all fun, good UX, but no, nothing behind it will work. Fantastic product, no UX, no one's going to find it to have it in the first place. There's still a lot of people who believe if they just stick adverts up on the tube, they're going to launch a successful financial services product. Every week I go to Waterloo Station, 
and every week there is another product that's up there. I saw one today actually on my way over. And it's another, it's a small business loan company called, and they're advertising. They're called uh, Awaka, but their poster says Flow. Well, what are you? A Waka Flow. Are you a Waka Flow? Are you Flow? Are you a Waka? What are you? It's just simple things like that. Sticking up a poster and spending thousands on advertising doesn't mean a customer is going to understand what you're actually selling. Make it easy for people to want to have your product. Make it exciting. Make it really simple to understand. People don't have time. We're too busy. That's true. That's true. I've Did you find I've any questions question. I've got upstairs. a question from the audience. Okay. And actually, it's from a comedy show, so you shouldn't be surprised with this question. What's the funniest payments joke you can tell us? There's usually a lot of people using banker and w- as rhyming slang. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's not a joke. That's but that's not a joke. That's nah, just a career okay. choice. Okay, non-payments related. What's your most famous joke? Okay. So my, my daughter is autistic. So for those of you that aren't familiar with autism, she basically says what she sees. So usually to somebody's face and really, really loudly as well. So I took up running a couple of months ago. And for those of you that can't see me, it's not going well. Easter took over and I'm now filling my trousers very well. Uh, My daughter was watching me run and she said to me afterwards, she said, Mummy, why is it when you run, your bottom cheeks clap you from behind? Yeah, I can see that. That would be disturbing for a mother. But for an audience, I think that would be quite funny. They love it. Um, They love the thought of that. Sounds very encouraging. <coughs> it is really encouraging. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I'm autistic. <laughs> <laughs> Using a flowery language in this one, it says, legacy players have always not- been notoriously crap at user experience. Are new fintechs getting the balance right between functionality and user experience? I think that's a sort of follow-on from the one we just had. Mm, I think... There is a lot of new players coming to market, like Tribe, like Banking Blocks, like, I mean, there's numerous others I can mention at the moment who've got some awesome functionality. I mean, proper game-changing functionality. It's now a case of not what do you want to do. It's like you can do all of these different things and how do you narrow it down to something that a customer's going to enjoy on a regular basis? Because it's habitual. We need habits. We need to change habits in order to engage customers. So I'm doing some work with another company who have a beautiful front-end app, nice and easy, plug and play. You've got great user experience. It's all been streamlined based on other app behaviors. So we know it's the way that customers work. So plugging in that accessibility with the unlimited functionality is limitless. I think it's really exciting. But people do need to think about the whole supply chain and don't just stop at bin sponsor. Don't just stop at, I found my processor. People forget they need to do card designs. They need to think about what goes into the mailers when you send it out to a customer. That's the first engagement they're going to have with your product. If your mailer looks really bland and grey, it doesn't really set the scene. Don't be cheap on your app. Don't just stick out a grey app and think, oh, it looks a bit like HSBC. People will accept that because they won't. They won't accept that. It's not good enough anymore. And as more and more challenges come to market, neobanks, whatever you want to reference them as, I think there'll be a lot more demand for seamless, multi-device user front ends. That's what people will expect. I don't want to go onto my HSBC 
app to check my balance and it to take more than a minute. It shouldn't take more than a minute, but it does. And that happens all the time across all of the major banks. And just generally, I mean, I know that, you know, with Panavate, you do all these app developments and, and you do stuff with iOS, you do stuff with Android. Do you get requests for other, you know, for other operating systems? I'm just wondering, do you get someone saying they want to do something on, on for Amazon Fire or something like that? Do you get these type of things? I would love it if someone would ask me that okay. because it would show that they were thinking about all the different touch points. So people aren't just accessing their financial services products on their mobile phones. They're using phones, multiple services of phones. You've got Samsung, you've got iPhone are the big ones, but you've got other contenders coming to market. You've got devices like um, iPads, Kindles, all sorts of different places, and desktops and laptops. Now, the amount of times I've opened people's, when, when people have asked me to review their products when they first launch them, I often get asked to go through it and basically break it. That's what I get asked to do. Go and break my product and tell me where it doesn't work from a customer experience. And the amount of times I've opened things on a desktop to find that the screen is either blurred because it's too wide or I've tried to open it on an iPad to find that it's boxed so you've got white down the sides. I mean, you need to think about simple things like that. But people spend their budget on the what they consider to be the core pieces of the supply chain. And then when they get to the app or the user front end, they go, I've only got 20,000. So I know a lot of startups that initially try to cut corners by saying, we're going to have a, a, a mobile optimized website as mm. opposed to an app. Now, what's your views on that? What's your feedback? Um, I say if you need to cut corners and you can't afford to have an app, then mobile optimization makes perfect sense. And I have, in, in fact, encouraged some companies to do that as a first step. I also think people's phones are getting filled with apps. But with open banking opportunities, I think if you can get a really good app going, then people will use that much more than going onto their phone hoping they've got decent service, www. You know, that's not, I've got two minutes between trains coming, I just want to know how much money I've got on because I'm going out later and I want to make sure I don't overspend. You know, that's the sort of thing. Again, it's about breaking down barriers. You want people in your product as much as possible and that's how you make them more sticky and that's how you make the money out of them long term. And I think having an app, that's quite a nice user experience. Press, you're in, use your fingerprint, it's unlocked. There's my balance, great. Log out again, job done. Mm. Whereas I've got to go find the website, put in my ID code, put in my PIN number or whatever, secure code, whatever it may be. Maybe use my fingerprint if that's enabled particularly, but it's nine times out of 10 is not. And then I've got to wait for it to load. I've got to hope I've got Wi-Fi. If I'm on a public network, is it secure? I don't know. I've just put all my financial services information in there. That might not be an ideal situation. So I think you've, there's multiple things people need to think about, security being one of them. But also, people need to remember to be, that they are a consumer too. What would you like to see, Suresh? What would you like to see? I think but what you're just saying there is this whole balance at the moment between utility and security, because people want their data secure, but they don't want to give up that utility of being able to get in easily. And that, that, I think the companies that crack that solution to give you a user experience that is quick, fast and easy, but also can manage to back in the level of security that you need, because there's so many data breaches going on at the moment, people are mm -hmm. paranoid about it. Well, I don't think they understand it. 
I don't think they honestly understand it. When British Airways announced that they'd lost people's payment information, people were nervous, but I don't think they genuinely understood what that impact would be. Unless you've had your credit card cloned or you've had it, um, you know, someone's been making payments and they've managed to get hold of your number, they've bought it off a blacklist somewhere. And the pain of that is really inconvenient with a credit card. Within a couple of weeks, you're sorted out, the matter is put to rest. If it's your debit card and it's your main source of funds, uh, this happened to a friend of mine recently, her debit card was cloned, her bank account was frozen for 13 days while they investigated it. And she was on the hook for all of the outgoing payments that had been made in that time until the bank had sufficiently um, investigated it. That's debilitating. That really is an awful experience. That's a very experience. bad customer experience. Yeah, and this is a main high street bank. That's probably why. And it was terrible, <laughs> terrible experience. And it was these were transactions that were blatantly obvious could not have been for the person that was using the account. So really, the bank should there have flagged that. There needs to be that. some sensibility brought into yes, some, exactly. some sort of pragmatism. Yeah, absolutely. I, t- I tell you one other thing that I found really frustrating with the. The, the fintech apps versus the traditional bank apps is that every time I upgrade my handset, it seems like the fintech apps, you know, the, the Starlings, the Revoluts, they've all started working straight away with the new app. So literally, I need to, you know, validate myself, whether it's face or fingerprint, biometric, and I'm I'm still using the product. When it comes to my Barclays, my, my HSBC, my Santander, I've had to go in there and find my username and password to basically register the device again. And in the end, I just feel like, you know what, I'm not even going to bother because it's just I get the statements in the post anyway. So I just I just can't be bothered to go through all of that process again. And it's actually a way that every time you change your handset, you're probably going to carry on using the bank that's stickiest with you. And that's been really frustrating, even with Barclays. Mm. I use HSBC. Yeah. And they give you a small, well, a few years ago, they give you a small digital pad with a lithium battery for you to put in a PIN number and then it will come up with a secure code. And put your card in there? No, this oh, is just okay. a little keypad. A little dongle? Give you. Yeah. Okay. So then I go onto my, uh, onto the website, say, for example, HBC website, I put my identification number in. I then have to put my PIN number in. I then have to get my secure code. I then put my secure code in and then I can access my accounts. Now, my secure pad failed. It just went blank. There was no battery operation. I had to wait seven to nine days for a replacement. Or I could go into an HSBC branch, which now there are fewer and fewer of, and collect one immediately. Can you imagine a, a millennial saying, I'll wait for that? I did. I thought, I'll wait for it. I will wait and see what happened. I'm not, a, I'm not a millennial. No, I'm sat in a toilet in the bottom of a club. I'm not a millennial. <laughs> um, so I thought, I'll wait for it. It's now been 11 days and it hasn't come through the post. So what I actually did was walked into, I, I made a, I had to go in concerted effort. I had to go to a town centre, find an HSBC and get a secure pad. But the one that I ordered still has not turned up. So if you could talk to that bank, because we have lots of listeners now. We, we almost have, I think, about 20 listeners I now. Think, I, think, I think we're well, in, <laughs> well into double figures, uh, almost with a two at the beginning, as so you say. That bank, if you could give them a message right now, what would you say to them? Stop trying to be the bank of everyone and think about the audience that you have in the UK. Grey is an awful colour scheme for any mobile banking application, but also for any web portal as well. You know your app is glitchy, because I've 
told your user experience person a couple of times at an event. Think about how I want to interact with your products and your goods and services. Stop adding push notifications for loans and credit cards to your bank statements because actually it just alienates your customer base and actually they find it quite irritating. Get to know your customer. You can see what transactions I've done. You can see where I shop. You can see the average amount I spend. So why are you offering me loans of £5,000 and upwards? You should be thinking, how can I make this person more sticky and what other products could I offer her? Like insurance, that would be relevant. Um, or maybe a mortgage. Look at what I'm using and, and just be a bit more intelligent about how you approach your customers. And, and new running pants that don't allow you to bum clap. Exactly. Get yeah. me some support. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, now you've mentioned that, your, your phone is be start sending you messages. It won't be HSBC sending you the anti-bum club. Yeah. HSBC don't even send me push notifications when there's a, a, a transaction that they're concerned about. They ring you, don't they? But they no, do when they want to give you a loan. They do when they want to give me a loan. So on that, we should actually say FinTech Unplugged is, should be a health warning. We're not endorsing anybody to lose their job. And the only reason HSBC is being singled out here is because it happens to be Emily's account. Yes, we, we, I'm referencing we, it is my generic own across customer experience. All the, um, what should we call them, the existing players? We should do a Banks Anonymous circle where everybody sits in a circle and tells them about all the pain points they have with each of the banks. That might be good service to the banks themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then get the banks on to answer the questions. The banks are very open to customer feedback because, in fairness, I think sometimes they feel a bit uh, disassociated from the people that are using their products. Well, I think they're used to saying, it's here, use it. Mm. And now the boot's on the other foot. It's a bit like, well, hang on a minute. If we don't like it, we're not going to use it. So I don't know if you've kind of semi-answered the next question I've got out of the bin. Are fintechs and challenger banks doing good enough job for selling themselves to new markets? Are they doing a good enough job? I worry they're not making enough money. I worry that they are doing a good job, the Revoluts, the Monzos, the Starling. Their front-end experience is lovely. They've thought about the marketing. And it's quite an interesting question, actually. I love asking people this. Do you, have you seen the Starling Bank advert that's played at cinemas? I feel like I should say yes, but the answer is no. Okay. I well, definitely have, but I can't remember. You can't remember it. If I said naked old lady, yes, there you go. It. No, that's See? Robert's browsing history. <laughs> <laughs> no, she has a check written on her back, words written she on her. She has, exactly. But there's a great example of the actual imagery overtook the message because no one remembers it's Starling Bank. They just remember it's a naked old yeah. lady with writing on it. Yeah, naked old lady with writing. I knew it straight away, but See? I didn't remember it was Starling Bank. Yes. There we go. So, but they are getting it right because they're they're taking a different approach to how they communicate. Is with it a good customers. advert? It is a good advert. It certainly gets people's attention. It's certainly powerful. The only thing is, is that people are n- not necessarily retaining the fact it's Starling Bank. Got it. Yeah. No. So, true. but they all remember the naked old lady. Okay. I do think that they are getting it right. I think they're all going after the student market and the young professional market, which is wonderful. But actually, I think there is a huge demographic of 50, 60 plus people in the United Kingdom that hold the majority of the wealth and we're not doing any products specifically for them. Is that because they're expecting to use branches, do you think? No, I don't think they are. Okay. My 84-year-old aunt uses online banking. She emails. She's very capable on a mobile phone. She texts. She has a tablet. So she'd be quite happy 
and I've said this, uh, I've spoken recently at a, a conference. I said, all you've got to do is actually make the app or the website really easy to navigate and have bigger print. Bigger print, bigger print. And you've got a really good sticky customer. So it would be quite interesting for a bank to almost have two apps, kind of one for you know, people that want larger font or even if it's configurable. I think someone needs to launch the Bank of Grandma. The Bank of Grandma. That could be it. Have you got a name for it? I quite like the Bank of Grandma, in perfect honesty. But there's a lot more older people that are funding first-time house buyers. You know, it used to be the Bank of Mum and Dad, but Mum and Dad are now kind of stretched. So Grandma and Granddad are kind of giving you some money from their pension. They're unlocking because they've got all the money. You've got students, you've got young professionals who have got very different ideas as to what they want to focus on. They're a very disposable generation, so they'll easily flit from one product to another product. Yet the most loyal customers are 60 plus, and we just don't do anything for them, really. We just assume. I mean, Saga, Saga launching launching a bank account would be sensible. No. No. They They try and sell you travel. Travel insurance, travel and credit cards. That's, That's their it. main business. But they could do banking. Why couldn't they? Saga Teabog. Saga Teabog. Or any other any other brand name. John Lewis. John Lewis doing a bank account specifically for the older generation. Because I do believe that people will be a lot stickier if Amazon, John Lewis or any of the Waitrose, any of the the sort of top tier brands in the UK decided to do their own banking platform or banking product. I, I jump ship in a heartbeat. So that red light flashing above your head and the noise is not that someone else is going to flush the toilet. I think they actually want you on stage, Emily. I think someone's going to come running in for you in a second now. And that, does that Oops. happen regularly? Oh my god, manhandling! Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even get okay. a chance to say bye. Okay, I mean, no, just... no, she's just been gone. Um, but anyways, Sir Richard, high five.